I wonder, the, um, the married ones amongst us, how many of us are wearing wedding rings? Can you just sort of wave your hand about if you've got a wedding ring? Okay, keep it there. Keep it there. Um, put your hand down if you're not still wearing the wedding ring that you got when you were married. Because that excludes me. I lost mine. Oh, quite a few of you have still got your wedding rings. Okay, that's very good. Highly commendable. The, um, the, the, the whole concept of a wedding ring... Is, is a band, a band unbroken of gold or silver or precious metal, indicating the preciousness of our love and the, the unbroken nature of our union. It feels for many people their, their wedding ring, I know some people who would never ever take it off, because it signifies something very deep and special to them. I recall uh, a couple whose wedding I had taken who came back to me a year or two later in, in great distress because one of them had lost their wedding ring and they wanted me to, to bless their new ring. They didn't feel quite right without it. I guess in the Christian church we use symbols of different kinds. I was reflecting on in fact, I was looking at, at Grapevine, and there we are in your, your magazine for June, July. There's Simon and Claire using water as a symbol of washing, Shireen and Stephen's baptism, of washing, of cleansing, of renewal, of refreshing, of, of all that God does in, in the very act of making us new people in water. In our communion service, we take bread and wine, symbols of the broken body and poured out blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. So symbols, ring, water, bread, wine, can be very powerful things. And on this day of Pentecost, I want us to reflect for just a few minutes on some of the symbols of the Holy Spirit from the, from the New Testament. We've seen them in our two readings uh, from, from Luke. And the dove, when Jesus was baptised. Some of you were introduced this morning to my Tesco's long life bag. I was desperately looking for a dove, um, and this is the best I could do. My wife said, you can't take that, that's a duck, that's a duck, she said. Well, this is the Celtic bit, you see, because um, on Iona, the Celts actually call their Christian community, or the music part of their Christian community, the wild goose. I guess, um, can we stretch that to a goose? I guess goose, uh, geese are, are a bit more common on Iona. And uh, one of their songs has the phrase, Here I stand looking out to sea, and I pray that the wild goose will come to me. So if we can stretch ducks to geese to doves, that should sit nicely on there. Well, there weren't many geese, I guess, in New Testament times, but... Doves were far more common. And we saw in Luke 
chapter 3, that as Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove, rested upon him. I suppose in my head, doves speak of of something peaceful, something gentle and tranquil. But the dove of peace needn't necessarily be tranquil. I came across this lovely story. Uh, Bishop Festo Kivangeri was a bishop in Uganda, and he told the story of his uncle, who was chief of the local tribe. And he said, my uncle was sitting in court one day with his courtiers gathered around him, and a man came in and, and bowed in the African way. He was rich in cattle. This man who came in was also known as a, a man who worshipped the ancestors of his dead, the spirits of dead relatives. He came with eight cows which he left 20 metres away. And he said to Festo's uncle, the chief, I have come for a purpose, sir. What are those cows for? the chief asked. Uh, they are yours, sir. They're mine? What do you mean they're mine? They are yours, sir. When I was looking after your cattle, I, I stole four of them. Uh, now they are eight, and I'm bringing them back. Who arrested you? said the chief suspiciously. Jesus arrested me, sir, and here are your cows. There was no laughter, only a shocked silence. My uncle could see that this man was at peace with himself and rejoicing. You can put me in prison or beat me up, the man said, but I am liberated by Jesus. Jesus came my way and now I am a free man. Well, if God has done that for you, said the chief, who am I to put you in prison? Go home. Well, Festo, who was a Christian, when he hears this story, goes to visit his uncle to see what impact this had had. I said to him, uncle, I hear you've got eight free cows. Yes, it's true. You must be, you must be very happy, I said. Forget it, he said. Since that man came, I can't get any peace. If I want to have the peace he had, I would have to return a hundred cows. <laughs> so the dove of peace can be unsettling for some people. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It means a wholeness, a completeness, the sort of thing that that man who returned the cows had found in Jesus a harmonious relationship between himself and God, between himself and his fellow men. If we want to seek God's peace, God's shalom in our life, I wonder if there are some cows that perhaps we need to return, some things that we need to sort out, some relationships that need to be restored, phone calls made, letters written. The dove of God's peace can be disturbing if we want to find his shalom. 
then I was reflecting further on, on doves. I was digging my garden the other day, and you know how it is sometimes, a little robin came down and was only a few feet away and, and seemed perfectly happy to sit there and look at me, and I stood and looked at him for a few minutes. But the, the slightest movement, the turn of my fork, would have disturbed him. And I was reflecting on that passage from Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says in verse 30, Do not grieve, do not frighten, do not disturb the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The turn of my fork would have disturbed my robin. What was it that would disturb, grieve, upset the Holy Spirit with whom we have been sealed? Well, Paul tells us, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. We're so keen as Christians sometimes to, to think that grieving the Holy Spirit is about the niceties of theology and whether we've got our theology of the Holy Spirit exactly right. But Paul says this is what upsets God's Holy Spirit in our hearts. When we're bitter and angry, when we get annoyed with our husbands or our wives, when we get irritable with our neighbours or our children, when we're filled with malice or unrest or road rage, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. For me, the things that can often frighten away the Holy Spirit, grieve the Holy Spirit, are when I can get too busy, too busy with perfectly worthy things, preoccupied with worthy things, but squeeze out time for God and his grace in my life. The robin, the dove, the goose. Remember how Jesus so often chose deliberately chose to go away and be on his own in a quiet place. I wonder what is a quiet place for you. Perhaps it's hard to find anywhere quiet in your home. But the garden, a park, going for a walk, finding somewhere to be still with God that doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit but rather allows him room to, to nest, to seal, to find his place in our hearts. The second uh, symbolism of the Holy Spirit, which is obvious in the New Testament, is in Acts chapter 2. And again, you'll be familiar with the passage When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That picture of of fire... 
I did check with uh, Angela if we were allowed to, to light candles in church and she said it was quite okay. If we can get it to stand upright. Not quite flames of fire, but I thought a visual A visual reminder of the light, the fire of Christ coming and resting upon us. I was reflecting on fire and its value in, in burning up the rubbish. It comes there in, in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 3 John the Baptist said, I baptize with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to, un to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Is there some rubbish that needs burning up? How do you get rid of your rubbish? When I was moving a little while back, I took uh, loads of it to a car boot sale and sold half of it, and I thought, all the rubbish I wanted to get rid of will be rubbish in somebody else's house, and clutter up their place instead and what was left some of it went to charity shops and amazing the stuff that people seem to go and buy there they're always full and what was absolutely left at the end of that went to the tip and whenever you go to the tip isn't it amazing the queue of cars and trailers and trucks and lorries all with junk to get rid of the rubbish in our lives that maybe God wants to burn off the stuff that so easily accumulates. And we need to be cleansed, purified. Perhaps there's some rubbish in my life, in yours, bad habit that we've got into, something about our tongue and the way that we speak or don't speak an attitude of heart or mind. Maybe God is speaking to us and saying, let me come and, and burn that out and allow you to begin again. The Holy Spirit coming like fire to burn. And then the Holy Spirit comes like fire as a light as a light, there's a, obviously the example in, in Exodus chapter 13. After leaving Succoth, the, the Israelites camped at Ethan on the edge of the desert, and by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. 
And I was reflecting on, on God's light to guide us. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I find guidance incredibly difficult. The way ahead does not always seem that clear. Somebody point out to, pointed out to me once that, that guidance is, is often so much easier as you look back over your life. You can see where, where the Lord has led you. You can see the, the pattern, trace the path of his hand. Nevertheless, God promises with his light to lead us into the future. Robert Amos, when he was at Bethesda, introduced me to a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a lovely look at at some of the, the Psalms. And I was particularly taken with this passage The writer is uh, an American, Eugene Peterson, and he's reflecting on this whole idea of trusting God for the future. Every day, I put hope on the line. I don't know one thing about the future. I don't know what the next hour will hold. There may be sickness, personal or world catastrophe. Before this day is over, I may have to deal with death, pain, loss, rejection. I don't know what the future holds for me or for those whom I love, for this nation or for this world. Still, despite my ignorance and surrounded by tinny optimists or cowardly pessimists, I say, that God will accomplish his will and I cheerfully persist in living in the hope that nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. So that's the confidence we have in Jesus that by his Holy Spirit he will lead us into the future whatever that might be and that we can trust him and that he will never leave us or forsake us. So I love that that imagery in Hebrews, that we run as Christians, we run with patience the journey of life set before us, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He was the light at the beginning. He will be our light at the end. And then finally, just to reflect on the fact that that light fires us up and inflames us, if you like. It's the way that the gospel spreads, flame to flame. Those pictures on our TV screens just uh, a few weeks ago of forest fires in America out of control. In a way, wouldn't it be marvellous to see that sort of spiritual fire burning through our land, leaping from heart to heart and life to life. It would be incredibly interesting to go around this building this evening and and to discover how it was that the flame of Jesus touched your heart and life. Perhaps for some of you, you were brought up in a Christian family and the flame was lit early on through parents and Sunday school. Perhaps you were influenced by 
Mission England or some big event of that nature? Perhaps by reading a book or seeing a film? For many people, I suspect, the flame of Christ touched our heart and life through a person. It was certainly true for me, the influence of working with Christian people and noticing that there was something different about them. And I just want to encourage us to, to let the flame, let the fire burn, not only in us, but to leap from us into the lives of others. The writer to the Thessalonians puts it like this. One Thessalonians chapter five and verse nineteen. He encourages us do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not quench, do not grieve the Holy Spirit but keep that flame alive and burning brightly and allowing it to spread from my heart, my life to those around me. So may the Holy Spirit, not just on this day of Pentecost, but day by day, fuel us and fire us like a dove, like a flame. Reflecting on doves and flames, I... I suppose it says something about my nature that, that I find, I don't know, I find doves probably um, sound more attractive than fire and flames for me. But it occurs to me that we need both, that maybe the gentle, touchy-feely doves amongst us need firing up with some flame. And maybe the fiery, burning, flaming ones amongst us needs sometimes quietening down by the dove. We all need God's Spirit moving amongst us, like a dove to bring shalom and peace, like a fire to burn up the rubbish and to lead us into the future. As we were praying in the vestry this morning, somebody said, we wouldn't want this church to be anything without the Spirit of God moving amongst us. It's so easy to become dull and dead and routine. Let's pray for that continual renewing of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our lives, in our churches. So that with those Celtic Christians we can say, here I stand, looking out to sea and praying that the wild goose, the dove, the Holy Spirit will come to me.